Hey everyone, welcome to Supercasters. I'm Michael Elsesser from Supercast. And on this show, we interview podcasters about how they're building the world's healthiest content communities. We're a company that believes in the power of the listener-creator relationship. So we like talking to folks who've been brave enough to ask their listeners to partner with them. And, and as a result, they've built these really great sustainable operations. So in this episode, I'm speaking with the science journalist, Allie Ward. Allie's the creator, the driving force, and the self-identified internet dad behind Ologies. <laughs> that is true. I'm everyone's weird dad uncle on the mic. <laughs> My sisters are the only people that think that the dad ward thing is weird because they're like, we already have a dad ward. It's dad. <laughs> like, My sisters don't call me dad, but everyone else pretty much does. There you go. Well, again, we wanted to know that you're like seen in all the ways that you can show up here on Supercast. <laughs> so look, as you do every episode of Ologies, can you please give us your pronouns? Oh, yes. I am Allie Ward and I'm she, her. Great. Thank you. So Ologies is this sort of beacon of smart goodness on the internet. You and the team have built something very, very unique. So we're going to go deep into the Ologies community how you built it up and, and how it keeps going. And then in the premium content section, we're going to delve into one specific thing that Allie does with her paid members that's relevant to every single podcaster who wants to build a healthy content community. So you're going to want to subscribe to the premium feed so that you can hear that. So Allie Ward, I want to get some important business covered up here up front so we can like Everybody can kind of map where they are. So I want you to give us two different descriptions of ologies. For the, the 17 people who are listening that haven't heard the show, the first one that I want you is, how would you describe ologies to the high school science teacher that you really admired? Uh, I did have a high school science teacher I admired named Ollie. He was great. He was the AP science teacher. And if there was deer roadkill, he would take us out to do a dissection. He was great. So I loved him. I would say to Ollie, it is a celebration of all corners of the world's of science and it is putting scientists rightfully on their pedestals like rock stars is how I would describe it. <laughs> Love that. Now, the second one is for a room of eighth graders who are kind of distracted and completely terrifying. <laughs> eighth, graders are, eighth graders are the most terrifying stage of human being. I oh, tell it like it is. I would say, listen, twerps, I love you. And if you're into lizard butts and you want to know how the world works, here is science delivered in a way where we leave all the gross bits in. And we swear sometimes. Don't tell your parents. That's what we needed. So that way people can kind of see. That's the whole swing of ologies. So how long have you been doing this show? Oh, in my heart for two decades and in practice for about two and a half years. So the idea came to me in 2002, and then I sat on it in this little dark corner of my heart, afraid to fail for like 18 years. Put a pin in that, gang. That's what we're going to be talking about in the premium <laughs> feed. <laughs> yes. But you're completely independent on this thing, right? You're sort of no corporate back. I mean, you, ads, we'll talk about that a little bit, but th this, mm -hmm. is your, this is your thing. Yeah. I started this idea totally independently. 
no networks would take me on because I didn't have a, an inbuilt audience yet for it. Even for the first year, I approached a few networks and they all they all turned me down because my following wasn't big enough. And so Patreon from before I ever even started the podcast has been there. You know, it started as a couple hundred bucks a month. And then eventually, you know, I got enough people to where I could pay my editors. And I could pay people to help me make the show. So it wasn't just me. I remember on my birthday staying in my closet where I recorded with unwashed hair until four in the morning working on it. It's great. Yeah. Which, and I'm betting those people that passed on you before are just like dragging right now because you're <laughs> like, how many shows are you on on television? Oh my gosh. Um, let's see. I'm on Brainchild on Netflix. I'm on CW's Did I Mention Invention? I'm the host of that. I'm on CBS's Innovation Nation. I'm on 100 Humans on Netflix. I consult on two different science projects that I'm not allowed to talk about, but, or one of them I am, it's um, with Michelle Obama's company, Michelle and Barack's company, Higher Ground. So I'm doing, in terms of the number of jobs, I have probably more than enough, <laughs> but ologies is my bread and butter, both the number of hours I work and the financial. So in round numbers, I mean, as much as you're comfortable kind of disclosing at any point here, but like how many downloads are you seeing each month, either per episode or per month or however you're comfortable kind of sharing it? Yeah, we just crossed 50 million since the show start. And um, we get about a quarter of a million per episode to 300,000, sometimes up to 400,000, depending on uh, how wonky of a topic it is, how interested people are. Wow. Fantastic. Impressive. And congratulations. Win every one of those one at a time. So that's a big deal. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I don't get nervous speaking in front of big groups typically, but it's funny because every once in a while I'll think, oh, well, so far this hour, the size of Madison Square Garden just listened to it. You know, and it's interesting to think of all those people individually on buses and on walks in the woods and doing their dishes. And each one of those people out there is fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah, I really love that. And especially when you think about the content of the show and that they're really making this very conscious choice to have some fun. And they're just, you know, doing some lifelong learning. I mean, it's just, it's clearly a very fun experience. But, you know, I was sharing this with a friend uh, the other day when I was talking about doing this, this interview. And it's like the number of beats per minute where my brain goes, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Oh, I got to go look that up. You know, it's it's a really, you know, like, with the comedy writers talk about how many jokes per minute that they have to get in. Uh, and you kind of have that for new discoveries. Oh, I hope so. That's always what uh, my aim is. I mean, the whole kind of ethos behind ologies is there's science in everything if you know what to look for and if you care. And if you care about something anything can be interesting with context and relatability. And so sometimes, you know, I'll be up late and researching cicada ovipositors or whatever. And I'll think there are so many podcasts out there that are just like gossip podcasts that are just like, we're going to watch, you know, an old series from the 90s and chat about it that are so would have been so much easier. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'm like, why did I give myself the task of making cicada ovipositors interesting? And then, but it always, it's more rewarding because I, I feel like it just makes you look at the world differently. Like if you can get drama and gossip and intrigue out of something so small and overlooked, then the world just becomes richer every in every direction, hopefully. And that's really being supported by the paid members, right? Like, how, like what's the, the percentage of the budget that's covered? Because you, you take ads as well. How does the revenue split work out for you between ads and, and the paid membership? 
Yeah, no, that's a great question. The first year and a half, we were solely Patreon funded. And amazing, amazing that I could make a living and I could pay an editor and I could pay a mortgage making this podcast that I wanted to make and make it as weird as I wanted to. A dream come true. I mean, I that was what I was really hoping for. And then around to early 2019, we, I did start getting a lot of interest from networks. And so early 2019 in January, I started with Stitcher Midroll. They gave me the most flexible kind of deal and they seemed to really get ologies. And they let me say no to sponsors that I did not think that my very science-based empathetic audience would like. And so everything is vetted by me. They, they let me liberally say no to things. I decided because I still had a following and support, you know, just taking money from ads seemed like I needed to make some adjustments with where the money went. And so everyone got raises, obviously. <laughs> and, um, and I also started donating to a charity for every episode. So a few thousand dollars a month goes to charities and they're all picked by the ologist because I felt like if you just Google the biggest charity in any field, you might be giving your money somewhere that doesn't use it as locally or as sustainably as possible. So yeah, so I have them pick it. It also saves research on my <laughs> end. So that's great. So you have you know these two big principal revenue streams, you know, the paid memberships, and then you have the advertisers. And then because you have been able to reach this kind of sustainability threshold, you recognize that, you know, part of the mission of the show, you know, includes this, this give back. And so what you've done is you've, this thing you can find when you go to the Ology site, you can find the list of them. And it was something I was going to ask you about. So I'm, I'm glad you got to it now. So the ologists are actually the people that choose the target of the give back that you do. What's that conversation like with them? <laughs> it's actually really fun. Uh, it's usually at the end of the episode when we're saying goodbye. And then I always cut this part out, but I always ask, oh, you know, by the way, we give to a uh, relevant charity of your choice. And it's great to hear, oh, that's wow, great. That's great. And sometimes I'll have one, right? I definitely give it to this, uh, you know, this orphaned kitten rescue that I work with, you know, like with a felinologist maybe. And others are like, oh, I have to decide. What if I have two? Like, great. We'll give to two. So it's always, it's great to be able to shout out that cause too, because it could be a 501c3 or it could be mutual aid or it could go to a specific person. It's just nice to be able to give them a shout out. Yeah, to have some of the money that I get to make from this show go go to where it's needed. So this starts to tip into the direction that I wanted to go, which really is this sort of this community that is around ologies. And so that, you know, that activity is very much a community expression. So so tell us about, if you would, please, Allie, the ologies listener community member, you know, who are they? Why do they come to the show? Like, as you've gotten to know them, how do you describe them? One of the gals who helps me with merch, Bonnie Dutch and her sister, Shannon Feltis, uh, they have their own podcast called You Are That. They're two sisters. They're really funny. Um, but they coined the term ologites in the beginning. And so people who listen to this show call themselves ologites, um, which I th feel like is adorable and very funny. But yeah, someone who is a, an ologite is typically someone who is really curious about the natural world and about science and about how life works and is definitely very empathetic. I feel like, you know, we've covered everything from 
you know, neurodivergence to neuroendocrinology and trans matters and BLM, I feel like it's a really compassionate, really plugged in audience. So authenticity, I think, is really key. Showing up as my whole self is something that I feel like has bonded me to the audience a lot. And knowing that I can do that and still feel understood and accepted, I think it's very mutual in terms of the audience. So yeah, I I get a lot of comments from people saying that they didn't think they were science people until they listened. You know, maybe they listened to one episode because the topic, you know, came up in their feed or something. But um, converting people and having people realize that they like science is always a joy. And then there's also a lot of scientists who listen because they might study turtles, but they had a ton of other fields out there. So they really like to hear other scientists' kind of struggles and triumphs and backstories which I love celebrating. I want scientists to feel like rock stars. And I just love when the ologies community starts following them on their social media and becomes really big fans of their stuff. It really, I love that. I feel like someone who's like a really good matchmaker. I'm like, ha I knew you would like each other. You don't really go into this territory explicitly in the show, but how has that mission, how has that, let's turn scientists into rock stars, part of the work evolved as our culture has surfaced this kind of science skepticism to, to in some extremes, anti-science sentiment? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I launched this in 2017. And so obviously that was a topic that's been on people's minds throughout the entire, you know, history of the show. And I think one thing that was really important to me is to show that scientists are people, human beings who are doing um, their science out of interest and passion because it takes so much passion to stick with your field and your discipline because science can be really hard sometimes and it doesn't always pay well and a lot of times your work is behind expensive journal paywalls. You know, scientists really are undersung and I think there's a misconception in a lot of what the way that we envision scientists where scientists know everything, they're know-it-alls, they're in a spotless white coat, and they're here to tell you to stop drinking soda. You know, like we think of scientists as like these buzzkills that know everything in this maternal figure. And Ologies was really also born of the conversations I would have with my scientist friends where they, you know, like Phil Torres, who's a lepidopterologist, he studies moths and butterflies. You know, I remember him talking to us once about how he was doing field work in a hut in Peru and there was a porcupine in the rafters and he had no choice but to grab his acoustic guitar and chase a porcupine out of his roof you know these kind of stories are like you don't hear about these in (laughs) USA Today headlines you know I remember the same conversation around a campfire we were talking about uh, extra nipples and like two of the guys are like, oh, yeah, I got a third nipple. And, you know, then that that started, we started talking about mammals. And so just understanding that scientists have these great stories, these like Indiana Jones stories of field work. And a lot of them pick what they study because there's something about it that just really lights them up. You know, what is it about whales that makes someone want to be a cytologist? What is it about neurochemicals that make someone study the brain. So you don't start a baseball card collection out of nowhere. There's usually something, you know, there's some passion behind all that work. And the same thing is true for scientists. So I wanted people to, when they met an ologist of any kind at a dinner party, get stoked and be like, oh, tell me all about proctology. You know? <laughs> <laughs> 
I do think I have like the perfect promotion for you for Thanksgiving coming up this year for how to save Thanksgiving is, is go to the, to the scary uncle that loves Jaws and the scene where they're all comparing their scars and show, say, here's all the scientists and here's all the ways that they're comparing too. Exactly. They have adventures. Yeah, I think that if you can get people to fawn over scientists, then you can get them to trust scientists, you know? And like scientist jobs are looked at as really ivory tower and white collar. But, you know, a lot of scientists are in the muck and they are, you know, sorting through buckets of swamp water. You know, I just interviewed someone who was an alligator toxicologist. She loves alligators. Her dream was to work in a swamp. And she dives around a swamp that is polluted with nuclear waste in a shuttered facility to test levels in uh, of ecotoxins in alligators. Like if that's not badass, I don't know what is. Like that is some dirty jobs. That's some real badass stuff. So I think people understanding that scientists are relatable was a huge goal of mine. So as you're developing these shows, how do you get the audience involved? You know, that was a really big thing for me. And I, I should say that when I started making ologies, so I wanted to maybe write a book. I came across this list of ologies on the internet in 2002. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll write it as a book. Maybe I'll pitch it as a TV show. And then I had already been doing a comedy podcast and someone suggested I do a science podcast. And I thought, oh man, ologies might be perfect for this. And so I recorded about six or seven episodes and I I just, I sat on them for nine months because I was like, there's just something that's not... It was too, it was just a conversation with no narration and it wasn't, I didn't have the resources to make like an NPR podcast, but it also didn't flow with banter enough to be like a West Coast comedy podcast. So I really tried to develop that format, but I wanted the audience to feel like it wasn't just two people trying to over intellectualize and outsmart each other. And so this idea of ask smart people stupid questions came up because I just wanted the audience to know that I was a proxy for them. So there was no question too basic to ask. And then I also thought, well, there's so many questions I'm probably not thinking of because I don't have the same perspective as everyone else. So I decided to open it up to if anyone has questions for this entomologist or this cicadologist or this proctologist, fire away. And so I started doing that as a perk. At the lowest tier, a dollar a month, 25 cents an episode, every single patron who's a patron has the right to ask questions. And I used to be able to ask all of them, and now I've got like 7,000 patrons, so I kind of figure out the wackiest ones and the most common ones. So I ask their questions and I say their names. And the great part about that is, is I feel like people really do feel engaged and part of the process. And then also it clues me in if everyone's asking this one question about a a penguin and I don't know what they're talking about. It's great because I wouldn't have known about about that penguin meme if all these people didn't ask. So it's really good. It helps me out too. That's a thing that's really worth calling out. I think for our listeners is, you know, what you're doing is you're turning to your community. You're saying like, I'm going to create a very, very flat threshold for you to come in. And then you've devised in the production process, you've actually turned them into an element. It's not exploitative, but it's truly crowdsourcing them. And it's, and it's helping you with you know both doing a little bit of the lift and the show development process, but it also gives you that much closer relationship. The distance between you and the audience is just that little bit less because you're now, like you can hear them beating on the other side of the mirror and you get a sense of what's really interesting to them. 
Yeah, absolutely. And there, yeah, there are just questions from people that because I didn't have the same lived experience, I wouldn't know to ask. And I just really like them feeling that they're in on the party, that they're invited to the party. They're not just watching in the audience, but they're milling around the big dinner party. That felt important to me. And it's great because there's so many listeners' names that I know. And when they, you know, write me a letter or an email or something, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Oh, this is this person, you know, because I've said their name aloud, uh, sometimes correctly, sometimes incorrectly. And if they tell me that I'm happy to say it better the next time, you know, <laughs> it really does feel like it's a big kind of happy family. And I didn't really realize when I started that that perk for patrons would be so meaningful to really feel like they are part of the show, you know, because even a dollar from a lot of people is a great way to know that you are not reliant on, you know, corporate sponsors or the whims of a network, you know, to know that I could do this probably forever is a it's like, whew, I sleep a lot easier at night. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a thing that at, at Supercast that just absolutely drives us is just this belief that the communities, the fans can absolutely power these shows and that creators that have that singular vision that have worked and they've devoted themselves to their craft and they've developed their voice. You don't need the biggest audience to have a supportive audience that can actually fuel the show, which because you started with a paid membership almost from the beginning, you know, you've seen that you don't have to get to that, that mega number before it kicks in and uh, it starts being worthwhile. Yeah. Some of the best advice I got was um, my friend, Kara Santa Maria is another science communicator. She hosts the podcast Talk Nerdy. She's also on Skeptic's Guide. And I was asking her before I started Ologies, should I wait and do my Patreon later when I've got more of a following? And she was like, no, do it now. Do it immediately before you start. That was one regret. She wishes that she had started it as soon as she started Talk Nerdy. And the reason is, is because the people who are going to support you are going to want to support you from the get go. The most ardent fans are already there and they will spread the word, too. And I think it's really special for fans to get the behind the scenes before you've even started the podcast to be like, OK, man, here's I've got five interviews. Anyone want to vote on what the first episode should be, da, da, da. I'm running these two logos. Which logo do you like better? All that stuff is really cool to be, to watch a podcast sprout. And I think that patrons kind of take a lot of pride knowing that without them, I may not have bought the equipment. You know, I spent $400 to buy equipment when I first started and I freaked out wondering if it was a huge mistake. And, you know, patrons knowing that some of the first patrons really funded that, I think means a lot to them, hopefully means a lot to me. I like that because it's, it's, and this is the thing we're going to touch on a little bit more in the, in the premium part of this is, you know, that you are making it explicit with the paying community that they, they actually are part of the machine. It's not just like, it's nice to have you and Hey, you should do this because, but no, actually like we are possible because you are participating. Yeah. And, you know, one other piece of advice I got was don't think of Patreon as a GoFundMe where you're asking for donations for something and you're humbling yourself to say, I really need this to make this thing. Think about it as what are you giving to folks that is worth a dollar, three dollars or five dollars a month? You know, what parks are you giving to them? You know, asking what you would want as a listener is really great. And then you think, I think it 
makes you feel good about when you are expanding your base because you're thinking, great, this is more people that are getting this cool premium content or getting early access or getting to have their name read on the show or whatever, instead of begging as an artist, as a creator. Because as artists and creators, hopefully if you're making something that means a lot to you, it'll mean a lot to other people. If you could do something over again with your paid membership program, what what would you do differently? Oh my gosh, time machine. First off, I would interview a chrono technologist for a time machine and go back. Um, You know, the biggest thing I would do differently is I wouldn't make physical deliverables. I was so ambitious and I was like, I will write everyone a letter. And then you get so invested in making the actual show that you're like, oh, you just start to fret that you haven't sent out letters. And so it starts to stress you out. So I think try to make your deliverables really realistic. You know, if you don't envision yourself making a bunch of handwritten letters, don't put that as the top tier, you know, make something digital just so you know that you are fulfilling it is my biggest thing. Although I did write a bunch of hand-drawn letters. One person who's an ologite and a patron got my signature and a shark that I drew her tattooed on her arm. So it definitely has value, but just don't overpromise. I think. That's and I do say dope. that That's I much can better. be, if, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's much, much, I was going to say, I couldn't help myself, Allie. It was just better than a Nike swoosh carved into the, you know, in your haircut. So it's really dope. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was a, definitely a surprise to me. But, you know, I uh, I just, I would say, think about what you actually have time to do. But yeah, think about what you would want from a creator. I tell my top tier patrons that I can be their emergency contact. So far, no one has uh, actually hit me up for that. But <laughs> I like to think in my heart I am. <laughs> so what's up next for you and for the show? Oh, Such good questions. So we are starting a couple new things, which are really exciting. But one thing we're starting is in our same feed, some short form, kind of like Radiolab shorts, um, actually, but and they're cut downs of longer episodes. So you get just kind of like the best highlight parts. So if you want a refresher, or if you don't have as much time, so we're introducing those soon. They're called Smologies. S-M-O-L-O-G-I-E-S. <laughs> and so those will be uh, coming out in the next couple months. So so that'll be fun that people can either re-listen or, or intro in that way. I, I, it just makes me so happy that somebody else is uh, unabashed about making dad jokes right out in the open. So thank you for that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's, part, that's why they call me dad ward. It's just shameless puns. Uh, so you. many. Just ugh. This is really great. Okay, so for our Supercasters Premium listeners, we've got the bonus section coming up here where I'm going to be asking Allie about something that she's done with the paid members that I is truly singular and it shouldn't be. And it's one of these things that seems small, but it reveals, it reveals a lot that, that's important and, and I think contains the essence of why Ologies is such a healthy content community. So if you'd like to listen to that, you can sign up for Supercast's premium feed at premium.supercast.com. It's free. Click the link in the show notes. You'll get it in your podcast player in a couple of taps. That's premium.supercast.com. No special apps. Download 100% free. Um, it's really been a pleasure speaking with you today, Allie. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. Oh, I'm honored. Honestly, very honored. Thank you for noticing, Ologies. 
So um, if somebody listening at home, their Google is broken, how do they find you on the internet? Oh, at Ologies on Twitter, on Instagram. Also, Ologies.com forwards to AllieWard.com slash Ologies. So just O-L-O-G-I-E-S. Boom. There you go. Let's do it up, folks. Okay, that's it for right now. We're going to see you in the premium feed in just a minute. Allie, thanks a lot. Have a great day. 